morning, everyone. I haven't been here a little bit. I forgot my notes in the next room, so that was fun. Should come down front and go, where's my Bible? Um, we're going to continue in our series today, the book of James, and we're going to give attention to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. James writes, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. And we'll do business there and we'll make a profit. How do you know? How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while and then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and we'll do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans. And all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. God's word to you today. You can be seated. Thank you. Sorry, guys, to scare you like that. Really sorry. Hey, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at New City. It is a joy to be with you today. As I mentioned, it's been a minute um, since I've been here, and I do want to share a little bit of, of our story in relationship to this campus for those of you that I haven't met today in the context of our passage. But if you have a copy of the scriptures, I do want you to turn with me to James chapter 4. And again, we'll be in our passage today, verses 13 through 17. I want to encourage you. Um, if you have something to write with or you have your phones to, to maybe jot down a few notes as we continue uh, walking through the book of James, which is a letter, uh, the, the book of James and all of the books in the New Testament were really letters to congregations, to groups of people just like us. And James is writing as a pastor of the Church of Jerusalem. And you'll remember that James was the, the youngest biological brother of Jesus, uh, uh, son of Joseph and Mary, the first biological child, fully 100% biological child of Mary and Joseph, and was in that family of Jesus. And he becomes a leader in the church after reluctantly um, coming to understand who Jesus was. We read in the scriptures that James was very antagonistic towards Jesus. Uh, James is the spokesperson for the family as the oldest uh, next to Jesus. And he's probably the one throughout the scriptures that are coming to Jesus and saying, hey, uh, forgive him. And Jesus, come back home. Stop talking uh, like a crazy person. Um, so J this is the same James uh, that uh, doesn't believe that his, that his brother is the son of God. And through the appearance of post-resurrection, Jesus appearing to James, uh, radically transforms his life into a follower of Jesus and then becomes a pastor in the church, the church in Jerusalem, where the church started. And then he writes this letter that you're holding in your hands today. And the theme of the letter as we've been walking through it is how to get through what you're going through. And uh, I'll give a little bit of context of why this is the theme for James of taking uh, a real faith in a real Jesus and applying it to real problems in your life. Now, you don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you would say, you know, that's the intersection that I'm living in of trying to take a real faith that I have in a real Jesus and apply it to real problems and disappointments that I'm having in my, in my life. In other words, 
how do I get through what I'm going through with God's help? And I just want to say up front, you know, the series isn't entitled How to Get Over What You're Going Through. You'll have some people in your life, and maybe you have, that when you go through difficult times, a diagnosis or a, or a divorce or a decision that doesn't go your way, you'll have people that will look at you and say, get over it, get over it. But the reality is, is that there's many things in your life that you'll never get over. There are many things that you walked into the room today carrying that you'll never fully get over on this side of eternity. But here's what I want to tell you. If you miss anything, you know, if you don't get anything else, if you miss everything else in the message and you only get this, it's enough. You won't get over it. But with God's help, you will get through it. God doesn't come and lift us oftentimes out of the valley of the shadow of death. He walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Do you see that? And so James is writing to a group of people that have real trouble, real problems, real disappointment, confusions. I wonder if you're in trouble today. I wonder what your confusion is. I wonder if you're disappointed today. I wonder if there was a decision or a diagnosis or something that happened even this week when you come into the room and you're wondering, how am I going to get through what I'm going through? That's what James is writing about. It's a letter. It's a love letter to a group of people that he pastored for many years, and their world has been turned upside down. And you ask, why? Why was their world turned upside down? Well, politics. Some things don't change. Politics turn their world upside down. What politics? Religious politics and national politics. The Jewish leaders didn't want them to be in Jerusalem and persecuted them, just like they persecuted Jesus. And so the first century Christians, those that chose to follow Jesus and convert from Judaism uh, to following the way of Christ, were persecuted by religious leaders. And then there was national politics, the, the Romans. Uh, they didn't want anyone to give any allegiances to anyone else other than Caesar. And so these two powerful groups of people persecuted followers of the way. Did you know it wasn't until the third century that people began to be called Christians? Before then, they were called people of the way. Isn't that great? People that were following the way of Jesus. And oftentimes, on our way in following Jesus, other things and other people and other powerful groups and politics get in the way. And we wonder, how am I going to get through what I'm going through? So you won't get over some things in your life. But with God's help, you will get through it. And James writes about that and gives instructions and, and truth about how to do that. And you'll remember in the context of James, if you're just joining us for the first time, maybe just to help frame the book up, there are three categories of scriptures. Did you know that? There are three main genres or categories. There's lots of subcategories, but there's three main categories or coat hangers. I like to think about it that way. There's 66 books in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And if you think about a coat hanger, um, you know, maybe you pulled your coat off the coat hanger today. 
And you think about all these different coat hangers, 66 of them. How do they all categorize? Well, you have the Old Testament and the New Testament, but you have three broad categories in the Old and New Testament. And this will make sense as we think about James. The first category is foundational books. So in the New Testament, you've got four foundational books. Do you know this? And what are the four foundational books in the New Testament? The Gospels. The word gospel means good news. The Gospels are a selected biography of who Jesus is. John reminds us that if all the stories about Jesus were compiled into one book, there are not enough books in the world that could contain the stories of Jesus. Isn't that amazing to think about? In his 33 short years and three years of ministry, there were more stories than any books could contain. So what we get in the Gospels are a selected biography through the power of the Holy Spirit and the authors of the Gospels to tell us the story of Jesus. So the first category of the Scriptures, if you're taking notes, are foundational Scriptures. And the same thing in the Old Testament, there's five. I won't go through all of them in all the Old Testament, but these mirror one another. In the Old Testament, it's the Pentateuch, the first five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The next category or coat hanger, you got foundational books. The next are historical books. In the Old Testament, there are 12 historical books. In the New Testament, there's one. Do you remember the name of the historical book of the New Testament that tells us the story of the people of God living in a real time and a real place on the foundations of who God is? It's the book of Acts. And the author of Acts is Luke who also carries one of the Gospels. So Luke curates a story about Jesus for us through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then he tells us the story of the early church in the one historical book in the New Testament, the book of Acts, all right? And the third category, if you're taking notes, there's foundational books, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's historical books in the New Testament. There's one of them, the book of Acts. And then there's instructional books, there's 22 instructional books in the New Testament, beginning with Romans and going through Revelation. And the instructional books were written mainly as letters to groups of people, congregations just like us, instructing them about how to take the foundations of who God is and in the New Testament, understanding the gospel of grace and what Christ has done for us and how to begin to live that out in history in a real time and place. And so specifically for James, it's first century Christians living in real places and real towns and real cities that we just read about that have real plans, real problems, real disappointments, just like us, and how to take that and live out our real faith in a real time and place. So you have foundational books, you have historical books, and you have instructional books. And if you're just coming to the scriptures, if you're exploring what it means to follow Jesus, if you're just starting a relationship with Christ, if you're just learning how to follow after Jesus, the Bible can be intimidating, can it? And if someone hands you a big Bible and says, here, just read this, it can be difficult to know where to start. And I would encourage you, if that's you, start in the Gospels in the New Testament. Read the Gospel of John. Read one of the selected biographies about who Jesus is. And then begin to read the history of the church in the book of Acts. And then you've got all these letters of instruction about how to get through what you're going through, how to take the foundational truths and live it out in your history and your time and in your way. And that's what's happening here in the book of James. And he's writing to a group of people specifically in context in history 
Luke was a first-rate historian, by the way. The book of Acts measures up with any extra-biblical history in terms of its veracity and its um, rigidity in putting different dates and times and people and understanding about a real faith happening in a real time and place in history. And so the context for James in history is a group of people that have been persecuted by the Romans and the Jews and kicked out of Jerusalem. And because they're kicked out of Jerusalem, they have to start over again. Some of you are starting over again. You're starting over again in a new city, in a new place. You're starting over again in a relationship. You're starting over again in a job. You're starting over again. Life is a series of stops and starts and and waits. And so for James and his audience specifically, they're having to start over in their business. They're having to start over in relationships. They had learned how to worship in Jerusalem at the temple. They don't have access to the temple anymore. They're starting over and learning how to follow God in a new way through Christ, starting over. And they're wondering how are we going to get through what we're going through. And the first thing I want to share about our passage, James 4, 13 through 17, in this context of instruction that James is giving, and specifically to this group of people that's been persecuted and kicked out of Jerusalem, is that crisis has a way of revealing the will, the reveal of the will. And and the revelation of what's inside of you and your will is made known primarily through crisis. It's through trouble, difficulty, disappointment. I want you to think about that. Different moments in your life, maybe you're in it right now where you're struggling, you're disappointed, you're frustrated with a decision or a diagnosis, something that's happened in your life. And it's oftentimes through the valley of the shadow of death in those moments that what's inside is revealed. It's like a tube of toothpaste. And you squeeze it, and what happens? What's on the inside comes out. And that's what crisis does. It squeezes you. And what's on the inside of your heart and your soul comes out. And sometimes we say, I don't like what's coming out. I don't like what I see. But that's where God meets us and where a truth like James is giving meets us in our difficulty, in our struggle. It's a revealing of the will. And what happens to our friends here in the book of James, chapter 4, is they're they're trying to make a new way in their life. Many of them were successful business people. They had learned how to navigate and and make a profit and a living. And now they're living outside of Palestine. And they're having to start their businesses over again. They're having to reorient their life. Again, some of you are in that place. And they're going back to their old habits of what they would do before they met Jesus. And so James writes to them and he warns them about this revelation of the will and this, this battle of the will between my way and God's way. And he says, now that you follow Jesus, it should look different for how you start your business and how you orient yourself to time and commerce and and how you begin to order all of your life should look different as you follow Jesus. And so if you're following along with me in the passage, he gives specific warnings. Let's jump back into it. Verse 13, he says, look here, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to go to a certain town. And we're going to stay there for a a year. And we're going to make a profit. Now, I want you to look there at verse 13 with me at the certainty of the statements that are made. We're going to go here. 
we're going to do this. We're going to stay for this long, and we're going to make a profit. Now, one of the things I want to be clear about in this message is there's nothing wrong with plans, but it's how we plan and who we're looking to for the plan. And this is a group of people that are slipping back, not that any of us would struggle with this, but are slipping back into their old habits of saying, I follow Jesus, but in these areas of my life and business and in relationship and in different ways, I follow my own way and I set my own course. And so James says three warnings here. He says, let me warn you when it comes to your will, let me warn you against self-determination, the idea that you're in charge of your life alone, the idea that you're the captain of your ship, that you're the master of your destiny. And so you can say, I'm going here next year and I'm going to do this and we're going to make a profit as if it all is determined by you. There's a word for that. The word is pride. And pride is kryptonite to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Pride edges out God. That's what ego really is in an unhealthy way, edging God out. And there's nothing like edging God out than your own plans and self-determination of not submitting your will to the will of God. And so James says, be very careful about how you articulate your plans and saying, we're going to go here, we're going to do this, we're going to make a profit. And then he says, what do you really know? Look at verse 14 with me, James 4. How do you know? What do you really know in life? What is it that you really know? James says, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? What a statement. Maybe just circle that in your Bible, highlight it on your phone, James 4, 14. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? The truth is that we don't. We don't know what our life will be like. James says vividly, your life is like a morning fog. It rained last night. When we came out this morning, there was a, a fog, a haze, a dew. It'll be gone this afternoon. And James says, that's your life. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know the name of your great-grandfather? Raise your hand. How many of you know the name of your great-grandfather? Many of you. Many of us don't. But this was a person that lived, that had dreams, that had a family, that had a business of some kind, had aspirations. And many of us, there were 20 or 30 of you that raised your hand, but many of us don't even know their name. They've already been forgotten. And unless you pay a service to tell you what their name was and where they came from, or you have an aunt or uncle that does it for you, you'll never know. A name only known to God. One day there'll be a group of people that are sitting in a room, if God hasn't come back for us, and they'll ask about you. What was their name? What was their life like? 
What did they do? What were their dreams? Who were their children? James says your life is like a morning fog. It's here and then it's gone. In one of his last interviews with Time Magazine, a 92-year-old Billy Graham was asked, what's been the biggest surprise in your life? I mean, what a life. Someone who preached to more, person, more people in person than any human on the planet, who had been to every corner of the world, experienced almost every culture, had seen so much, and was asked as a 92-year-old, what's been the biggest surprise in your life? How would you answer that? What's been the biggest surprise of your life so far? His answer, without hesitation, was one word, brevity. The brevity of life, it goes by so very quickly. Solomon, who was known as the wisest man in the world, said this in Proverbs 16, 9. Maybe just jot the reference down. We can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We have a lot of plans, but he directs our steps. Someone once said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. When we started this campus, and some of you may not know this story. I know for some of you we haven't met. But we started this campus in our living room. And it was 13 years ago. And this morning, I was sharing with some of you, was emotional for me to think about being here and sharing and thinking about the last 13 years and what's happened and, and what hasn't happened and the story of God and being a part of that story. We were serving at another church here locally for 11 years. I thought I'd be there forever, that nothing would change, but it did. And we thought we would move to Chicago. That's where we were going. We were off to Chicago. And there was a man that we were going to go there and, and, and work for. And, and he came to visit here. He's become a great friend and mentor. And we were sitting at a restaurant here. And he asked us the question, what requires the most faith for you to come to Chicago and work with our ministry or stay here and plant a church in Charlotte? And I knew in that moment what the answer was. And we stayed, and a group of us met. And then we came to this, this campus, this warehouse, this, what it was, was an attic when we came. And it was full of all kinds of things, and a group of people, some of you still in the room, worked and cleaned it out. And we began having services here, and the principal of Alexander Graham Middle School came to our services, so we used his metal CMS chairs for the summer, and there was one little air conditioning unit, so it was a little warm when we came in this morning, and I thought, that's just like home. It's good to be back. It's nothing. We had one little air conditioning unit, and we handed out bottles of water when people came in on Sunday evenings, and we just began to experience God in this place, and the passage that we Work through that summer 13 years ago was 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 6, 1. Go and read it. And Paul talks about anybody who's in Jesus, their story has started over. They're a new creation in Christ. 
that the old has passed away and the new has come. And so the new and new city is not about a new church or anything new in this world. It's the new life of Christ. It's the newness of the gospel that never gets old. Did you know that everything else in your life will get old? Everything else in your life will get old. The clothes you're wearing, somebody else will wear one day. The car you drove here, somebody else will drive one day, and they'll think it's great. You don't like it now, they'll love it. The house that you're living in, somebody else will live in one day. There's only one thing in your life that never gets old, and it's the new life that only Christ can give you. And that's the greatest story for us to experience ourselves and to share with other people. And James tells that story to his congregation. He reminds them of stories. Stories are important. Stories remind us of how God has worked. When we want to know what God is saying, you want to know what God is saying in your life right now? How many of you are at a place uh, where you feel stuck or just like James's audience, disappointed, confused about how to get through something? When we want to know what God is saying in our lives, we go back to what God has said. When we want to know what God is doing, what do we do? We go back to what God has done. Because as the writer of Hebrews reminds us, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God orients to time in a different way. Let, let, me, let me describe it this way. You're on a parade float right now that's passing by. Everyone wave. You're passing by. You're on one float. You can maybe see the float ahead of you. Maybe some of you can see two floats ahead of you. But God sees the whole parade from start to finish, from beginning to end. And so when James says here, how many of you know what's going to happen tomorrow? The truth is we don't know. And it humbles us and brings us back to the one who does know, who sees all of time past and present and even future. And this is what we can say, verses 15 and 16. And James warns us. He says, this is what you ought to say if the Lord wills, because it's his parade. It's his story. Everyone watch this. The curtain will come down on your story one day. The curtain will come down on my story. My story will end. Your story will end. But the story of God goes on forever. And the reason why we can experience and taste and touch eternity is because God, through Christ, has invited us into his story, into his eternal story. And now we're storytellers to others. And this is how James finishes his warning. Verse 17, he says, remember, remember. What a word that is, to remember. Remember your story. Remember God's story. Show pictures and remind yourself of the story, your family, God's faithfulness. Courtney described Ebenezer's rocks, memorials that would tell the story to future generations of, of God's faithfulness and his goodness. When we want to know what God is doing, we go back to what he's done. When we want to know what he's saying, we go back to what he said. They're memorials for us. They're reminders. Remember, all of the Bible can be summarized in one word. Remember. And the greatest teaching 
is to remind us and to remind you specifically of what you already know. Teaching is reminding of what you already know. And James says, remember, it's his audience, it's his congregation, it's his group that's heard him before. He says, remember, remember that it's a sin to know what to do and then not do it. And I'll finish here. That's what wisdom is. Don't you see? Wisdom is a combination of knowing and doing. It's this sacred intersection of knowledge and practice. That's what wisdom is. A lot of people know a lot of things, but they never put it into practice. And a lot of people do a lot of things, but they don't know why they're doing it. They have no knowledge or understanding of truth. And James says, the sacredness of wisdom that comes from the Lord is the intersection of knowing and doing, of putting it into practice. And he says, it's a sin to not live as wise people, as people receiving wisdom from God, of taking knowledge and truth of who God is and putting it into practice. And many of us miss this just by way of application in three specific ways, I'll close here. We miss the wisdom of God and we say, I'm gonna go to this town, I'm gonna make a prophet, I'm gonna do this. And we don't humble ourselves and we don't remember what James says that we ought to say if the Lord wills over every plan in our life because it's his parade. And we miss it first of all because of pace. We're going too fast. The psalmist says, be still and know, Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. You ever thought about that passage? Be still and know that I am God. The way to know that God is God and you're not is to be still. But culturally, we're moving so fast that we can't stop and remember I'm only afloat in God's parade. I'm only a mist of the morning. I'm only a person that lacks wisdom if I don't come to the Lord for it. And when I don't stop and remember, I can get prideful and say, tomorrow I'm going here and we're going to stay for a year and we're going to make a profit and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And I begin to boast. And James says it's evil because I'm tapping into the evil story of the world that says there is no God. And that's what a fool is. A fool says there is no God. And tempo, pace, makes us do that. The second thing that causes us to miss this is our own priorities. The ways that we orient ourselves to the story of God. Priorities are the story under the story. It's the motivation of your heart. It's why you're doing what you're doing. And James isn't saying you shouldn't plan or, or prepare. We know from scriptures that we should prepare, we should plan. But what's the motive behind it? Who's in charge of it? We ought to say, if the Lord wills, then we'll do this or we'll do that. But my plans are ultimately submitted to him. Here's the third reason. It's my posture. The way I show up. The way I understand my place in the parade, in the story. Posture is all about how I show up to the story of God. Is it your story or is it God's story? And let me just tell you from experience, learn from my dumb tax here. It's God's story. 
and God will remind you of that. You can be humble, everyone watch this, or you will be humbled. Be humble or be humbled. Pride is the kryptonite to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And God loves you too much to allow you to just go your way and ignore him with your foolishness and your boasting. That's what posture is. Jesus said it this way, finish right here, in Luke 9. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you don't have to raise your hand. How many of you want to follow Jesus? You know, we talk about missionally here that we want to find and follow Jesus and we want to help other people to find and follow Jesus. The greatest story, the greatest ministry that we could ever be called to, helping people find their selves in the story of God taking their story and submitting it to the larger story of God, finding and following Jesus. Jesus says, if you want to be my follower, you've got to give up your own way. That's all. You've got to give up your own way. And it doesn't just happen at camp one night at summer. That's wonderful. But Jesus says here in Luke 9, 23, go read it for yourself. If you want to be my follower, you've got to give up your way daily, daily, and take up your cross and follow after me. In other words, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. That's what James is getting at, your place in the story of God. And that's the bottom line truth for James 4, 13 through 17. We ought to say, if the Lord wills, because it's his story. To Christ alone be the glory today. Let's pray together. I wonder what it might be in your life that you would say, I'm really not following Jesus the truth is, if you really knew what was in my heart in this relationship or this business dealing or, or a decision that I need to make, I'm really not trusting the Lord. And I wonder now, even in this moment, if you would just say the words that James gives to us, if the Lord wills about this thing, about this decision, about this relationship. I wonder if God would give you the wisdom and the courage now to just say that simple prayer, God, if you will, if the Lord wills in this relationship, if the Lord wills in this decision, if the Lord wills in this, this business, if the Lord wills with my tomorrow and my future. So with those words, Jesus, we submit ourselves to you and we take up our cross and we choose to follow after you for your glory in Jesus' name.